And now it's time for us to discuss more of these headlines and simple keywords with Adam joining us via Zoom. Good morning, Adam. Well, good morning, Lena. Happy, Happy Tuesday. Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> Happy Tuesday, indeed. Uh, is it snowing at where you are? Uh, I don't think so. It's still dark out, so I can't really tell. But yeah, <laughs> I don't think so. Not for the moment, anyway. Because the forecast warned me to basically wake up earlier because it was going to be snowy and there was going to be black ice on the road. But at the time when we, most of the team members, got to work, it wasn't yeah. so snowy. But keeping well, our eyes closely, uh, closely. False linked. alarm. Yes. False alarm there. Just, yes. uh, yeah. Would have been very uh, annoying if you had to wake up early <laughs> for a forecast that was incorrect. <laughs> <laughs> no, but I suppose keep weather updates handy because still snow is in the forecast. So we'll keep tabs on and let our listeners know if anything changes. Let's jump into our first keyword of the day. Now, disrupting the status quo is always difficult. It's paid with uncertainties, but it seems to be a priority for the union government. This is our first keyword of the day. Labor revision. Because it seems necessary, a research group tasked with devising and reviewing ways to revamp the labor market has come up with some suggestions for the government, including that a flexibility for the 52-hour work week. Run us through what they were. Right. So this group, it's uh, called the Future Labor Market Research Society, roughly translated, uh, has proposed that overtime working hours be managed by a month, quarter, half a year, or even a full year. The group believes change will expand the choices and discretion of both labor and management. Now, the current law under the Labor Standards Act manages overtime hours by one-week periods with a maximum accrual of 12 hours per week. The proposal does raise concerns, though, over the potential for longer working hours, depending on how you work it out. The group is aware of that, and it has suggested that the maximum amount of overtime be adjusted proportionately to the uh, managing units. A month-based overtime management system, for example, would cap extra hours at 52 for the period, while a quarter-based system would allow up to 140 extra hours, equivalent to 90% um, of the monthly hours mm. permitted. Larger periods are further reduced in 10% increments. Now, the aim of the group is to find ways, as you mentioned, to reform labour laws that have pretty much been the same for nearly 70 years now. Um, the group also suggested that a, a fair wage system be applied to small and medium-sized uh, enterprises and to irregular workers that focus on merit and ability. Um, the Labour Ministry plans to review the proposal and announce detailed plans, especially on the overtime work hours within the year uh, or early next year. So we'll have to see what comes out of their decision. All right. But for now, we do, it seems, have the right direction and the bigger framework. We'll have to look at the details of the policies going into the new year. Let's move on to our second keyword of the day. Visit Korea. Is that the slogan? <laughs> The government has come up with plans to attract more travelers to Korea and it seems long-term tourists. So can you tell us the details for what this Visit Korea plan might entail? Right. Well, the government wants to have basically 30 million for, uh, foreign tourists to Korea every year uh, between the years 2023 20, uh, and 2027. Uh, it hopes to create 30 billion U.S. dollars in revenue from uh, such tourism. It also hopes to create 50 trillion won in domestic tourism as well to boost local economies. Now, the government aims to ease regulations related to the tourism industry to achieve the goal. 
It also wants to promote the so-called K-culture. Uh, you and I both have uh, expressed <laughs> our opinions of how we think of K being put in front of everything, but there you have it. It's not going away anytime soon. Um, the government will give discounts as well to flights, accommodation, uh, shopping and food, dining mm. out to attract foreign tourists. Um, it'll also work with the private sector to create such packages as well. It also aims to hold more cultural events throughout the year in the form of concerts and other mega events. Uh, the government is also working to promote programs that will have travellers revisit Korea, such mm. as uh, golf tournaments and academies, as well as Korea food programs. It also wants to utilise Tongwade, the former presidential office, more and create a cultural cluster that includes Gyeongbuk Palace and Gwangabun, um, which is all in that vicinity. Uh, it'll also set up systems for foreign tourists to easily get visas and expand languages to attract more visitors from more countries. And to increase revenue, the government will also expand the number of venues that provide tax-free shopping as well. Ah, so pulling out the big guns to ensure that tourists stay long-term and they return to Korea. Yeah. All right, let's move on to our third keyword of the day. Fewer newlyweds. So Korea's newlywed couples fell last year amid the rising trend of delayed marriages. The country is also witnessing a rise in the number of newlyweds with no children. I fall into the latter category, but hey, I contributed in a small, minuscule amount. You certainly did uh, <laughs> add one figure to the number of newlyweds. Two! Uh, <laughs> it takes two to tango. Oh, right. Of course, of course it does take two to tango. Sorry, that was... Uh, ooh, oops. Uh, anyway, uh, according to uh, statistics, Korea, the total number of newlyweds in Korea last year, dropped 7% on year to 1.1 million, which is actually the sharpest decline since related data began to be compiled back in 2016. Uh, COVID-19 was actually considered to be the biggest factor behind the, the sharp decline, though the changing social perception of marriage was also considered to play a significant uh, role as well. I think your perception of marriage certainly changed over the years. <laughs> um, now, newlyweds is defined as couples that have been married five years or less and in which at least one person is a Korean. That's uh, why they're that's how they are uh, included in the figures. Now, the latest figure is 82,000 less than the number recorded uh, in 2020. Um, the situation appears even more stark when the scope is narrowed down to couples who have been married less than a year. This came to uh, about 191,000 uh, couples, a 10% uh, a decrease rather on year. Mm. Uh, in recent years, though, the number of newlyweds has been on decline even without the pandemic. Of course, economic factors, including job security and the trend of staying single becoming a social norm were key factors that kept people from tying the knot. Um, even among married couples, the social changes were visible as well. While dual income couples have further increased, more couples are having less children. Last year, the number of dual income couples accounted for just under 55%, which is a near three percentage point increase compared to 2020. Dual income couples broke 50% for the first time in 2020 as well. With more couples in which both people work, there, of course, were less children. Mm. Among those married five years or less, 54.2% have children 
That is just over a, a percentage point drop from the previous year. When looking at single and dual income couples, 60.5% of single income couples have children, whereas under 50% of dual income couples have children. Now, the presence of children also seem to play a role in whether the couple purchased a home or not. Um, mm. Just under 60% of newlyweds with children lived in a place that they owned, compared to 50% of couples without children. So that's also having an effect on uh, the real estate purchases and market as well. All right. Uh, one of our listeners asked, but they were counting the couples instead of individuals. Yes, uh, all jokes aside, the numbers came right. in couples. Take uh, two to tango, yes. <laughs> I, I don't want to deter from the actual conversation topics that you brought up. It seems that in, in the bigger timeline, uh, it's not just South Korea. Higher income, smaller families seems to be the general consensus for developed countries. And the stats seem to support that, maybe exacerbated by the conditions of the pandemic. Certainly, uh, yeah, the uh, onset of uh, the pandemic, the global economic slowdown, especially recently, all the economic figures that we've been going through in this segment are mm -hmm. certainly pointed to gloomy outlooks. And uh, I think that's why a lot more couples, newlyweds, opt for both sides, both the husband and wife, to create income for the family as well. And of course, that uh, has a ripple effect on whether they have children or not. So we can certainly see that in the uh, latest statistics. All right, with that, we move on to our fourth keyword of the day. Korea-China talks. So Foreign Minister Park Jin and his Chinese counterpart Wang Yi have held talks virtually to discuss bilateral relations and other issues. So can we discuss what came out of this meeting? Right. Well, yesterday's virtual talks came about four months after the two sides held in-person discussions in Tsingtao, China. Uh, Park told Wang that Seoul expects Beijing to actively support South Korea's efforts for dialogue with North Korea, uh, basically asking Beijing to play a bigger role in uh, uh, Korean Peninsula issues. And Wang uh, responded positively, saying China will play a constructive role. Park is believed also to have asked China to lift its de facto ban on Korean content to promote cultural exchanges between the two nations. Uh, the two sides had earlier formed a consensus on the need to increase bilateral exchanges during a summit between the two leaders of the two countries last month in Bali. Uh, the two diplomats also agreed to work closely together on a visit by Xi Jinping to Korea. The last time Xi came to Seoul was all the way back in July 2014, so it's been a while. Uh, they both agreed that last month's summit in Bali between Yun and Xi served as an important milestone in opening the new era of Seoul-Beijing ties. They agreed to work together for the smooth implementation of the summit's agreements and have close communication to maintain the momentum in bilateral summit diplomacy. Uh, but of course, whether Xi will actually visit Korea remains to be seen, but they're certainly working towards that. Uh, Park also asked for Beijing support in Seoul's so-called audacious plan or initiative to provide Pyongyang with economic aid in exchange for denuclearization steps. Uh, the meeting followed a virtual business forum uh, between Seoul and Beijing as well, attended by top business executives and senior government officials who called for closer trade relations between the two countries as well. So we are in the midst of this um, uh, UN government is kind of earing more towards the side of US diplomacy, but it's certainly not leaving China out because it is, of course, Korea's top trade partner. So mm. it's well aware that it needs to keep uh, relations friendly between Korea and China. All right. With that, we move on to our final keyword of the day. 
North Korea sanctions. So the EU has slapped a fresh new set of sanctions on North Korean individuals and entities. So what's the latest, Adam? Right. Well, the EU said that in light of the continued developments of ballistic missiles by the North, the European Council has decided to add eight individuals and four entities to the list of those subject to EU restrictive measures. The new listings target those engaged in or providing support and funds for the regime's nuclear-related and ballistic missile-related programs. Among the sanctioned entities, the EU included two oil tankers and delivery vessels because of their involvement, allegedly, in actions that violate UNSC resolutions. The Ministry of Rocket Industry was added to the list as well for its role in procuring finance and components for use in the development of missile and nuclear technology that's also prohibited by UNSC resolutions. Now, EU restrictive measures now apply to a total of 73 individuals and 17 entities. They comprise an asset freeze, a travel ban to the EU, and a prohibition to make funds or economic resources available to those listed. Uh, the new sanctions also come as satellite images from the 38 North that showed goods from Russia appearing to be piling up in a North Korean rail yard, hinting at a possible resumption of trade between Russia and North Korea. This comes about a month after trains were reported mm. crossing the border for the first time since the pandemic began. There's been some allegations that um, some weapons trade was happening between Russia and North Korea as well, though Moscow denies that. Uh, so another area of concern there. Experts are saying that the move is kind of unlikely to improve the situation on the ground, but it does send an important message to Pyongyang, does it not? That's what the sanctions mm. are designed to do. We'll leave it there for now. Further analysis required. We have an entire segment for that that comes up on Tuesdays. Thank you so much, Adam, for today's discussions. We'll see you tomorrow. You're very welcome. See you tomorrow. If you're listening to our program using the podcast service, just a reminder that we do go live Monday through Friday, 7 a.m. Korea Standard Time. So tune in and help us make the show more informative by giving us your input. See you bright and early on Good Morning Seoul.